Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about betonline.ag. It's that time of year, March Madness. Whether your team's on the bubble or in the big dance, rooting for Houston or Purdue, Big East or Big 12, Bet Online Sportsbook has you covered with all the props, odds, promos, and parlays for this year's March Madness. Use our promo code BLEAV50, that's B-L-E-A-V-5-0, to get a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit with the link in the description to this episode. Bet Online, where the game starts. Good afternoon or good night. However, and whenever it is, you may be listening. Thank you for stopping into another fantabulous episode of the Take It Easy podcast live. On the Believe Podcast Network, except it isn't live because it is, as always, a podcast. Welcome, 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 everybody. It is a fantabulous February 28th, according to my count. It may not be that according to your count, but we appreciate you stopping in however and whenever it is you may be listening. It's the final day of a record-setting month here on the Take It Easy podcast. Over 12,000 downloads in 28 days. That's going to break a record here on the show for a 28-day month. For a 31-day month, our record is two, tw- is 12,500. So if you've got 500 downloads in your soul sometime here today, just go through old episodes and start downloading. We greatly, greatly appreciate all of you supporting. And you just might break a record in only 28 days here on the podcast as we inch ever closer to 300,000 downloads in the history of the Take It Easy podcast. Also, you can buy our book, The Spurs Dynasty. It came out last week. It's available now wherever you get books. There's a link in the description of this episode that has all the information for you. Today on the show, we're going to talk about baseball, and we're going to talk about baseball because I'm from San Diego. I'm incredibly invested in the San Diego Padres baseball season, and there's a really interesting trend going on in baseball right now that I want to talk about because baseball is one of the few sports that I feel has this right when it comes to spending more than you have available, putting some of your some putting your operating costs on credit and then paying it back later on revenues that may or may not come back. We'll talk about that coming up later and it's going to relate to the Manny Machado contract because Manny Machado opted out of an of a 10-year $300 million contract after 4 years to sign an 11-year $350 million contract with the San Diego Padres who are doing something really interesting and have rewarded my faith. I I my childhood team was the San Diego Padres. They've rewarded my faith here with Manny Machado coming through and we'll talk about this with our friend Juju Talk Sports a little later as well. First and foremost, we need to address Damian Lillard because if you listen to the show on Sunday we recorded episode 135 of Wired Up and the reason I recorded it for 20 minutes was just because I was so infatuated by the Portland Trailblazers and Damian Lillard getting stuck in a once every 84 year snowstorm in Portland And because of this once every 84 year snowstorm in Portland, they were stuck on a plane for seven hours, getting delayed, waiting for it to take off, being told they had to go home at 10 o'clock at night, come back the next morning at 8 a.m., fly down to Sacramento three hours before a basketball game, and then sit Damian Lillard and Jeremy Grant for obvious reasons after spending nearly 12 hours in a 19-hour span on an airplane. And while they were stuck on this plane, 
the Portland Trailblazers, most of whom are irrelevant other than Damian Lillard, who makes that team relevant nationally because Damian Lillard's going to have a statue outside of the stadium in Portland that we decided on Sunday would be more badass if it's him waving goodbye to Oklahoma City. More fitting would be him pointing to the watch as his statue outside of Portland. But that's a man who's going to have a statue outside the stadium in Portland. He was on the All-NBA 75 team. Damian Lillard is just one of the best basketball players in the history of the sport, and he's played 15 years in Portland, and he's from Oakland, and he lives in Portland. Like Damian Lillard is the greatest player in the history of the Portland Trailblazers, hands down. And so Damian Lillard is also a part-time rapper, and so they made a freestyle rap about being stuck on a plane. And I felt like I needed to talk about it for 20 minutes on a podcast because you know how much we love our 70s and 80s old-timey sports anthems on the show or even the 2000s ones like the Lob City Clippers one that Tyga made. Or is either YG or Tyga. I think it was YG, not Tyga. YG made a Lob City Clippers one or T-Pain making the Miami Dolphins parody. You know how much I love these. So, you know, we had to talk about the Dame Lillard rap, which after they did it, Damian Lillard's first game back, I woke up Monday morning and was like, Damian Lillard dropped 71 points in a regulation basketball game. Didn't even take overtime like Donovan Mitchell did. Damian Lillard put up 71 points. If you remember back on January 12th, we had Leva Cabas on the show, and he talked about what the data says about why we're seeing these gigantic offensive performances in the NBA this year. And what Lev's data pointed to is heliocentricism across the league, which I love as a term because star players are getting higher usage rates. Offensive efficiency is up as teams take more three-pointers, layups, and free throws. And that's just league-wide trends that are leading to Donovan Mitchell scoring 71 points in an overtime game. Luka having the first 60-20-10 triple-double since Wilt Chamberlain. The, you're seeing data points like this, like outlier data points as a result of this. The 176-175 Sacramento Kings and Los Angeles Clippers game we talked about on Monday was another version of this. And then all of a sudden, Damian Lillard put up 71 points in regulation after I said with Lev Akabas when we transitioned to, will somebody ever break Kobe Bryant's 81-point mark? We said, or I said, it will never happen without overtime. And if they change the overtime rules, which is something being discussed by competition committees over the All-Star break, if they change the overtime rules, it will never be achieved again. Damian Lillard would have only needed one overtime to get to 81. Like, he put up 71 in regulation, and it wasn't even a question. And this, you could call this Dame Lillard's masterpiece game, even though this is like his fourth 60-point game of his career, his second of the season because he already dropped 60 earlier in the year. Dame Lillard is in the perfect position right now where we joked about how there's a bunch of nobodies on the Portland Trailblazers when we were talking about uh, talking about getting Matisse up off the Sixers in the rap song, I just realized I forgot to play the song for you guys. Before we continue, let's play the Damian Lillard freestyle rap that we get fell in love with back on Sunday. Hey. So yeah, it's fantastic. They said shooters up. <laughs> we got shooters in the locker room like we the Wizards. Because remember Gilbert Arenas and Javaris Crittenton. It's great. It's it's an incredible song. And I am so glad that we have this whenever we can talk about the Portland Trailblazers. Damian Lillard has not had another all-star on his teams since LaMarcus Aldridge left in 2015. Eight years ago. 
eight years of Damian Lillard's prime, the Portland Trailblazers have never had another all-star. Not C.J. McCollum, not Yusuf Nurkic, not Jeremy Grant. They have never had a second all-star play alongside Damian Lillard. It's why I was saying back when Anthony Davis requested out with the Pelicans, and this was the early, early days of our podcast, even though Anthony Davis doesn't want to re-sign with you, trade C.J. McCollum, trade the draft picks to get Anthony Davis for two playoff runs and if you don't if you aren't willing to blow yourself up the market will blow you up instead and that's exactly what ended up happening to Portland which was they didn't trade for Anthony Davis they were content to roll out with Dame and CJ and Nurkic for the fourth consecutive year they made it to the conference finals in 2019 and got swept out by a Kevin Durantless Golden State Warriors team and that was the best they ever accomplished and CJ was huge in that um, year. Don't forget, like, Game 7 of that playoff series in the second round against Denver. McCollum had, like, 35 points on the road to beat Denver. So I don't want to say, like, oh, I was so right that they shouldn't have... They should have traded Anthony Davis for CJ McCollum and draft picks. It wasn't as simple as the math was. CJ was great for them in that playoff run. And then the bubble happened, and Dame Lillard was the bubble MVP who was just doing absolute godly shit putting up like 40 point games and buzzer beaters and like I don't want to undersell just how awesome Damian Lillard was in that bubble back in 2020 and then in 2021 he has that amazing playoff game against the Nuggets and like they have this weird run for Portland where they're getting bounced in the first round but they aren't a championship level team and then they blew themselves up the general manager who they gave an extension to despite he never making any major moves got fired for running a toxic workplace they got rid of terry stotts and brought in chauncey billups and i'm kind of rehashing some stuff we talked about on sunday the point being this portland team is especially bad like even though dame lillard has not had a second all-star on his team in eight seasons this Portland team is particularly terrible. It is rookie Shaden Sharp as the third best player on the team behind Jeremy Grant. And if Nurkic were healthy, Nurkic would be the third best player. But it's Jeremy Grant and then Shaden Sharp as, the, as a rookie lottery pick is the third best player on this team. And they have the 12 seed in the West right now. And they are just a particularly bad team. And that's the perfect circumstance for what we were talking about with Leva Cabas, which is Donovan Mitchell puts up that performance with two of his star players out playing against, I believe it was the Knicks. And was it the Knicks? I can't remember who Donovan Mitchell put up the 71 against. But it was against a not interesting team. And it's a Cleveland team that scores a lot of points and Donovan Mitchell ends up putting up 71. Oh, Chicago. That's what it was. A terrible team. And Donovan Mitchell it was required to put up a large percentage of Cleveland's offense in that game. And it went to overtime. And that's how they won. So it's a player whose scoring is their best ability. And in addition to scoring being their best ability, they are on a team without a lot of other first options. So like when Kobe Bryant scored 81 in a game, that was uh, a Laker team that missed the playoffs. They did not make the playoffs that season. It was, I think, the only season in Kobe Bryant's career they did not make the playoffs. Or it was the year after they missed the playoffs where they lost in the first round to Phoenix. It's one of those two seasons. And this Portland team is that. It is an incredible scorer with no chance of making the playoffs because the roster has been stripped down. They have a new general manager, a new coach. Dame has decided he's here to stay, even though the team doesn't really have a chance of getting back to competitive anytime soon. And put up 71 points in a game. He's also put up 60 in a game this year. Like Damian Lillard is putting up these ridiculous stat lines 71 being like doing it in regulation was incredible. I'm watching this. He's burying 13 three-pointers. The highlight, he had 41 at halftime. Damian Lillard was incredible. And the other thing that plays into it, playing against a shitty defense, which is the tanking Houston Rockets, which for Cleveland, when Donovan Mitchell put up 71, was the terrible Chicago Bulls defense, 
when it was Kobe Bryant putting up 81, it was the terrible Toronto Raptors defense. I don't know specific numbers for that Raptors team. I just know they missed the playoffs. So it was a bad, bad team that they were going up against. And then all those perfect circumstances combined for Damian Lillard to hit 13 three-pointers in a basketball game because that was what was required to win that game. When Devin Booker went for 71 points a couple years ago, they lost that game by 10 points because it was the year the Suns finished with the worst record in the NBA. So that was just required. It is a bad team against another not great team, a bad team against a bad defense. And that bad team having a singular scoring threat and a bunch of guys who can create their own shots but aren't really going to make an impact on wins and losses. And that's the perfect confluence events that happened on on Sunday and you woke up the next morning and Dame Lillard put up 71 points in regulation, burying half-court shots like it was nothing. And it was so much fun to watch. And I just went back and watched the highlights and it was so cool. And this was the first game after the rap song that we put out. And I feel like we're now slowly becoming Damian Lillard fans as if I wasn't like huge into Damian Lillard before like Damian Lillard in the bubble was the moment where I was like oh we're watching something different with Damian Lillard and he had been awesome before that he'd had the waving goodbye to Oklahoma City he'd had the playoff run where they go to the Western Conference Finals and this it just hit different man it hit different with Dame in the bubble in 2020 it hit different when he scored the last 24 points against the Nuggets and even though they lost he pushed a game where they were down seven points with under a minute to go in regulation to double overtime scoring every single point for the Portland Trailblazers like we could argue about how like the the Blazers have failed Damian Lillard and there's a great argument to be made for not making the all-in moves that were necessary and then trading CJ McCollum for Josh Hart and draft picks and then trading Josh Hart for draft picks from the New York Knicks you could point to like Portland has let down Damian Lillard and they might be better off just tanking and resetting this whole thing. As long as Dame's going to be there and they're going to be a 9-10 seed trying to put stability around him, Portland is going to have awesome games like that. And Damian Lillard is on one of these stretches going back to pre-All-Star break to now where he is just going berserk. I think before this game against um before this game against Houston, Dame was averaging 38 points a game in his previous 7. And if you add this one into it, he's now averaging 42 to 43 points a game over his last 8 games. Like this is this is entertaining basketball and it seems to be a theme of the weekend is holy shit this is entertaining NBA basketball it's entertaining to watch Dame on a bad team torch a tanking team it's awesome to watch Sacramento and the Clippers two teams who might not make it beyond the second round go 176 175 it's just incredibly entertaining, and that seems to be the theme with Damian Lillard and the Portland Trailblazers. And I know we talked about this on Sunday not too long ago, but the fact that on the first game after the incredible rap song that they put out, the incredible freestyle that we're going to save for t- for years and years on this podcast, hopefully, like as soon as that ended up happening, the Portland Trailblazers put together a 71-point game. I shouldn't say the Trailblazers. Damian Lillard put together a 71-point game in regulation. I literally have never seen it before. 71 points in regulation and your team won. It's absolutely ridiculous, the tear that Damian Lillard is on right now. Before the All-Star break, then you gave him two weeks off, and he won the three-point contest and came back against Houston and just torched, torched Houston for 71 in regulation. Like, I'm going to... When does Portland play next? I, I don't watch a lot of NBA basketball on my free time. A couple years ago was when I decided the regular season did not matter, and ever since then, unless you add stakes to it, I am not going to actively seek out NBA basketball. They play 
Tuesday night against Golden State. I hope that game is going to be on TNT because I will actively seek that out. And if I don't seek it out, it'll be on NBC Sports Bay Area. So I'm in the area. I'll get to watch Damian Lillard go absolutely berserk tomorrow against the Golden State Warriors. It's going to be so much fun to watch. Let's see. It is, uh, let's see. Tuesday, the 28th, it is, nope, it's on a local TV, but I get local TV because I live in the Bay Area, so tomorrow I'm going to watch, I I promise you, and I will be doing this because I will be paid to, but while I'm getting paid to work the Sacramento Kings play the Oklahoma City Thunder, I will go out of my way to watch Damian Lillard put up what I'm going to go out on a limb and say is at least 42 points against the Portland against the Golden State Warriors. And by the way, based on his last 8 games, 42 points is a 50-50 chance of happening. I could flip a coin and say will Dame go for 42 or will he go for less than 42? And I'm going to flip a coin and say he'll go for over 42 cuz even if he doesn't hit 42, going for 39 is still going to be absolutely insane when it's Dame pulling up from half court in San Francisco. Hey. All right, so it's time for us to journey to a galaxy far, far away known as Major League Baseball. Many children in the 1970s and 1980s really grew up loving Star Wars, and much like those Star Wars nerds, me growing up 20 years later, I became infatuated with baseball. And despite the fact that both baseball and Star Wars are now delivering diminishing returns on the value that they once provided, I really enjoy baseball and talking about baseball with the same fervor and passion as Star Wars nerds enjoy talking about Star Wars, and... In the past, uh, call it year and two months, I have watched all nine of the Star Wars movies, not including the ninth one in the Skywalker saga, but I have seen Rogue One. Rogue One's an awesome movie. And now that I understand Star Wars lore, I'm like, wait a minute, Star Wars and baseball are basically the same thing. You've got this evil Dodger Empire that wants to impose order and terror upon the galaxy, and a small resistance in San Diego makes their stand to try and destroy their 111-win Death Star. And once I made that connection, I'm like, oh, San Diego's the resistance and the Dodgers are the evil empire. Master Cohen has his met army of queens on the eastern seaboard. And basically we wrote a whole Star Wars intro for episode four. And by the way, we're working on episode five. Eventually we'll have an episode five available probably sometime around opening day with all sorts of baseball jokes. But since we're going to travel to a galaxy far, far away and talk about baseball, let's play our Star Wars introduction. Episode 4 The Holy Dodger Empire continues their reign over the West In previous years, the Holy Dodger Empire dismantled the once great Royal Cardinals Establishing a new power within the galaxy The Holy Dodger Empire defeated the Royal Cardinals Invaded the Mill of Waukee And vanquished the 107-win Giants In the meantime, the Holy Dodger Empire pillaged both the Purple Rockies and the Backs of Diamond in Arizona. These invasions increased the Empire's wealth tenfold. Their resources are unmatched, their power is unquestioned. With the West and the Central firmly in control, the Holy Dodger Empire sets their sights on a new conquest. 
the Eastern Empire State. If the Holy Dodger Empire defeats Master Cohen and his Met army of queens, there will be nothing left to stop them from conquering the galaxy. To the south, a small resistance forms in San Diego. While outnumbered and outresourced, the resistance fights for their very existence against the tyranny of the Holy Dodger Empire. It's a changing time in the galaxy. The once great Imperial Nationals of Washington have fallen. Years earlier, the Imperial Nationals once defeated the Holy Dodger Empire at the Battle of Strasbourg. Now, they find themselves bankrupt and selling pieces to the highest bidder. In this collapse, the Holy Dodger Empire captured a great captain known as Mad Max, who helped strengthen the Holy Dodger Empire's hold on the galaxy. However, Mad Max has escaped and defected to Master Cohen and the Met Army of Queens. He will spend whatever years he has left fighting to dismantle the tyranny of the Holy Dodger Empire. And now, the legendary Imperial Captain Juan Soto has joined the Resistance after paying his debt to Kara the Hutt. To San Diego, Captain Juan Soto brings with him the Imperial Nationals Mighty Josh Bell. Joining Captain Soto is Lord Hader, the supreme closer of the Mill of Waukee, called to fight by the message of the Resistance and the possibility of bringing balance to the Force. The Resistance has paid a heavy price, yet they have never been closer to defeating the Holy Dodger Empire. And now here we are. The Holy Dodger Empire has lost at the end of the fourth movie, and now we are headed towards The Empire Strikes Back. We're currently writing the script for The Empire Strikes Back, but just know we are in Empire Strikes Back time. So, the San Diego Padres gave Manny Machado an 11-year, $350 million contract extension that will pay him until he is 41 years old. San Diego Padres are taking out credit loans at this point on future assets because San Diego is not making enough money to cover the costs of the fourth highest payroll in Major League Baseball. Bob Nightingale, who is a Baseball Hall of Fame voter, incredible writer for USA Today, insider in the sport, he's a newsbreaker, Bob Nightingale confirmed to us that the Padres are going to lose 50 to $100 million this upcoming season. The Philadelphia Phillies, who had a similar payroll to the San Diego Padres except a larger regional television contract, because Philadelphia has the fourth largest regional TV contract in baseball, the, the San Diego is somewhere between, uh, I believe it's 11 and 16. The Philadelphia Phillies were operating at $17 million losses last year with a similar payroll to San Diego. Going into this year, Philadelphia's payroll is currently at $231 million. Their revenue from 2021 was $323 million, uh, according to data from The Athletic uh, back in 2022. We've linked that episode in the description if you want to see some information about this. And the Philadelphia Phillies at $323 million a year were operating at $17 million a year losses in 2021. And while the World Series bump helps out a little bit with that money, it's not enough to close that gap entirely. You're not making $5 million per World Series game by selling the tickets and the money that's generated from having, in the case of the Phillies, two playoff games in your home stadium. Or sorry, two World Series games in your home stadium. It's not enough money to recoup $17 million worth of losses. And so the Philadelphia Phillies were spending that money with knowing that that was not going to come back. The owner was writing a $17 million check out the door at the end of the season. San Diego's in that same camp. Their check is just between $50 and $100 million. And they're taking out lines of credit and loans on these Machado contracts, the Bogarts contract, because that's what you do when you make a 10-year $300 million investment when you don't have the money up front because that money's getting paid to the player no matter what. 
whether it's you or the next person to buy the team, that money's getting paid to the player guaranteed. So you have to take out a loan and a line of credit in order to pay for that contract over the long run. It's not a problem when you have billions of dollars, such as the owner of the Philadelphia Phillies, John Middleton, or the the uh, family who owns the Braves. Uh, it's a blend between the uh, Turner Media Company and someone else who owns the team. But when you have that level of valuation, it's not a problem because you go to banks all the time to get investment loans. This is an investment worth hundreds of millions of dollars. And when you have billions, it is more normalized. It's not normal for someone making thousands a year to take out million dollar loans, but it's more normal for someone making tens of thousands a year to take out a thousand dollar loan two thousand dollar loan and in a way that's kind of what they do in these situations but besides the long-term like loans that you're getting on these contracts san diego is just taking straight up operating losses that bogart's contract this year is going to be paid by money out of peter seidler's pocket and peter seidler by the way is the controlling owner of the padres he doesn't have a majority stake in the team or at least he didn't until like 2019 i think but he's the guy who's footing the bill and he's totally cool taking 80 to 100 million dollars in losses and he's totally cool giving machado a long-term contract now so that we don't have to talk about this for longer than five days seidler's cool just writing it out of his pocket as a loss his hedge fund is reportedly worth in the billions of dollar range, which makes him somewhere in the like 11 to 16 in terms of wealthiest owners in baseball, obviously behind Cohen and the owners of the Guardians and the Braves and the Yankees who generate that giant revenue and the Dodgers group is worth billions. San Diego, Seidler's money would put him in the 11 to 16 range with an 11 to 16 sized television contract and so if they're in the above average range of major league baseball revenue and above average of major league baseball wealth their ability to spend at the levels of fourth in major league baseball in payroll and signing more of these giant contracts than any other team that's something that is punching above your weight class now granted all of these Major League Baseball teams have caps on how much money they're willing to spend. I know baseball doesn't have a true salary cap. Those luxury tax thresholds effectively operate as salary caps because the teams decide that's what they're going to spend at. It's why 15 Major League Baseball teams have the combined payroll of the Mets this season or why the cutoff... like. Um, the dip, the dip between 17, which is the Minnesota Twins at 141 million, and 19th, which is the Brewers, is 106 million. There's a 35 million dollar drop off between the league average and the bottom 11 payrolls in Major League Baseball. Or sorry, bottom 12 payrolls in Major League Baseball. There are 12 teams who are either not trying to win or simply cannot afford to spend more than $100 million on their teams. There's 12 teams who are already starting out from a place of disadvantage when it comes to the rest of the team. And in fairness to the San Diego group, they are above the... They are theoretically above the group in the bottom 12 in terms of revenue generated from their television contracts. When they were tanking, they went to the bottom, but teams who are tanking go to the bottom all the time. The Cleveland Guardians are 25th in revenue right now, and their ownership group has one of the 15 largest television contracts, and their uh, their owner, the Dolan family, is worth $7 billion, one of the most wealthy Major League Baseball ownership groups. Their revenue is so low because they are tanking even though they made the playoffs last year, kind of because the AL Central is terrible. They were anticipating tanking, and then they turned out to be really good last season. It's really weird how that worked out. The Arizona Diamondbacks, same situation. Regional television contract is in the middle. Their ownership group is, is a little bit wealthier. They're 21st in revenue. But the point being, like, San Diego is above that group. And at the same time, San Diego is punching above their weight class, when it comes to money that they don't have. But the thing is, all of these people have that money because your ability to purchase a Major League Baseball team in the first place or become a controlling owner of a Major League Baseball team comes from having 
excesses of resources beyond operating costs because you can't in the last 20 years you can't get your foot in the door without having these excesses of resources or the ability to take out loans on long-term contracts it just you would not be a functional team you'd be like the oakland athletics at that point and so san diego is punching above their weight class they're taking operating losses and the Peter Seidler, who is the governor, control it, like majority owner of the team, he's cool just signing away close to nine-figure checks over the course of 14 months to take those losses. And it's why San Diego is the most exciting team to root for right now, right up there with the New York Mets and the Los Angeles Dodgers. The Phillies are in a similar group, but the Phillies are kind of touching right around that number. Like, the Phillies advantage is like we'll sign Trey Turner to a giant contract while also offloading 25 million dollars in contracts in the same offseason so Philly's kind of punching right at their weight class right now same with the New York Yankees the Yankees are deep in luxury tax the thing is though the Yankees can afford it because their regional television contract is so ridiculously high the Dodgers are interesting because the the Dodger empire is prioritizing payroll, as we're going to talk about in our Empire Strikes Back. This is the Dodger empire striking back by maintaining flexibility and trying to reconvene in their strategy to take down the resistance who ruined their 111-win season. So what's interesting about this is the Mets, Padres, and Dodgers are the three teams you want to root for right now because... The thing about the Dodgers, they have this gigantic revenue stream from their regional television contract. It, regional television contracts are individually negotiated in baseball, and so that's why you have these gigantic splits in payroll spending because there's no salary cap in baseball. There's revenue sharing, but it's not enough to dramatically impact the sport because the Yankees make 10 times as much money on their regional television contract as the Miami Marlins. And so even when you do revenue sharing as a base minimum for some of these teams, it still doesn't even get you close to the ballpark of spending as some of these other teams. And granted, like it doesn't help the Angels or the Texas Rangers, but for every example of the Angels and Texas Rangers, you have six examples of teams where it does succeed, like Toronto, Atlanta, Philadelphia, the Yankees, they have these gigantic revenue streams. The Boston Red Sox are in this group. They have these gigantic revenue streams and spend as if they are receiving these gigantic revenue streams. The Mets, the Padres, and the Dodgers are the teams punching above their weight class and taking operating losses. The Dodgers are in an interesting place because now they're in the net positives, and it's not because they're being cheap. It's because they've decided that's the best strategy is not to continue paying Justin Turner, not to continue paying Cody Bellinger, not to continue paying these people just because you have the money to. They've decided because they have the one of the best baseball executives of all time, Andrew Friedman, running their organization. They've decided that less spending and maintaining future flexibility actually correlates with a successful team, which is interesting to watch happen because it gives me hope for San Diego. And also I've seen the Dodgers do so many smart things for so many years that I'm just like, it's that, uh, it's that meme with the guy who's like, those fuckers are up to something. That's what it feels like with the Dodgers. It's why we're in the empire strikes back phase of our star Wars story. But every year for the past eight years, the Dodgers have been spending above their weight class, which is saying a lot because the Dodgers have the largest revenue TV deal in baseball. That deal that they get with Spectrum LA is gigantic. It's nearing uh, about $500 million a year. And the Dodgers are, sorry, not 500, $250 million a year. And the Dodgers take that money and pour it all back into the team and it's the reason why they've won nine of ten division titles in baseball and the one year they didn't they beat the 107 win giants in the playoffs so they've basically been the best team in the national league 10 consecutive seasons and even if you want to go back to 2014 when they took down the royal cardinals and took down the mill of Waukee in 2017 or 2018. Like they've been the best team in baseball at the bare minimum since 2017 
I'd argue going all the way back to 2014 with a break in between for the Cubs. Like, even though they've only won the one championship, it's not because they aren't immensely talented. It's because baseball's random as all hell. Like, the reason that the, uh, the, the, the equivalent of San Diego shooting the laser into the hole and blowing up the Death Star, like at the end of the first Star Wars movie, like... Their version of that was San Diego getting 22 consecutive scoreless innings in a playoff round against the Dodgers from their bullpen. Like, that shit just doesn't happen. 22 consecutive scoreless innings just does not happen like that. And that's the reason why the Dodgers lose. The reason they lose in 2019 is because of a home run by Howie Kendrick. And baseball being random is the reason they get to a fifth game anyways. And Trent Grisham booting a baseball in the outfield in a wild card game is the reason Washington even made it to that series against the Dodgers. And the reason they lost in 2021 is because their literally entire pitching staff got hurt. Dustin May, Clayton Kershaw, Max Scherzer, and Walker Buehler all got hurt at the same time in a playoff series. Like, baseball is incredibly random and crazy. And the Dodgers have been losers in that respect, even as they've become the Holy Dodger Empire, because again, they've been the best team in the National League for 10 consecutive seasons. Totally unprecedented. 10 consecutive seasons. And the Dodgers find themselves in a position where they are the team that has always punched above their weight class, even if their weight class is heavyweight. The Mets are slowly becoming that heavyweight they're still punching way above their weight class by spending $100 million more than the Phillies, who are third place in total payroll. Because Steve Cohen's doing the same thing. He's got $14 million. He's $14 billion. He's willing to write nine-figure checks on operating losses for the Mets. The Dodgers have been willing in the past to write nine figures operating losses on their checks. And because of that, they've been able to dominate the National League for years and years. They got Andrew Friedman, one of the best executives. The problem with the Mets is that they they have all the money in the world and they can't get the front office in place. Going from a guy who got fired for uh, being a predator to a female reporter to a guy who had a DUI <laughs> to Sandy Alderson all of a sudden again to courting the Brewers guy and courting Theo Epstein. Like their problem is they just can't get a good person to run their team and they're spending money like crazy, but it's not the right way to spend money. And so the Mets are kind of in that place where they're like, oh, the, the Met army of Queens has all the resources in the world, but they just can't get it right. And the Dodgers are in this interesting place where it's like, we have all the resources in the world and we're getting it right. And that's why they've become a Dodger empire for a decade. And it's why San Diego is has to punch above their weight class to even get in this game because San Diego's operating with above average revenue numbers and... The Dodgers are operating with top of the league revenue numbers and are willing to take losses. And the Padres are willing to take losses, including taking out loans on these contracts. And the Mets are willing to take losses. Cohen's willing to take like nine figure losses on these teams, like double nine figures, like 200 plus million dollars in operating losses on this team. And San Diego's willing to take 80 million because, I mean, if Cohen's going to spend. 250 million in losses we got to spend 80 million in losses if the Phillies who are the team that they lost to in the playoffs last year are going to spend 20 million in operating losses well we got to go for 80 to 100 if the Dodgers are going to have this giant television contract which gives them the highest revenue stream in baseball well we got to be able to compete with that with operating losses and right now, the Dodgers in San Diego have exactly the same payroll. Granted, this is the Dodgers' lowest payroll in eight seasons, but they are at the same payroll number right now. And the Padres are taking $100 million in losses, and the Dodgers are profitable for the first time in eight years, like operating costs year to, to year to year. And it's not because the Dodgers don't make a shit ton of money. It's that they take all that money and immediately pour it back into the team, which, by the way... If you're running a professional sports team, that's super, super fun for the team you root for. Super, super fun for the team you root for. If they don't, if the owner doesn't take your money and pocket it, instead they take that money and pour it into the team on the field. 
and pour it into the experience when you go to the stadium, that's the team you want to root for. It's why the teams you want to root for the most right now are San Diego, the Dodgers, and the Mets. And what's super interesting about the Astros dynasty is that the Astros have always maintained profit, and they're still able to win five consecutive American, oh, make the ALCS, uh, what is it now, six consecutive seasons, go to three World Series and win two of them. And every time, and by the way, the, the years they didn't make the World Series, they came within one game of making the World Series and came within two games of making the World Series. So the the Houston Astros are guaranteed every year to be right in the World Series <laughs> four times in six years. And the one year they didn't make it, they one of the years they didn't make it, they were one game away, and another year they were two games away from making the World Series. Houston's able to do that while maintaining re- like profitability. It's the most insane thing that has existed in the sport, and we don't appreciate just how ridiculous this Astros dynasty is in that sport. And New York Yankees, New York Yankees, they're the little brothers who have a lot of money but never punch above their weight class. And it's why every year for the past five years, I've walked into spring training and said, well, the American League is Astros and Yankees every year. And you know what? This year I'm saying the same thing. It's going to be Astros, Yankees in the ALCS. Occasionally the Red Sox will slide in there and beat the Yankees. One year it's going to be Tampa, who has an incredible run, perfect confluence of events, win a winner-go-home game in the eighth inning against the Yankees, then win a winner-go-home game seven against the Astros. It's pretty much every year going to be Yankees and Astros in the American League, and it's going to continue to be Yankees and Astros in the American League. In the National League, it's so interesting right now because there are no cap five teams that could win the National League, and four of them, Mets, Phillies, Padres, Dodgers, all are punching above their weight class. They're all in different weight classes, but they're all fighting above their weight class right now. And the Dodgers have come down a weight class after losing to the Padres. But like I said, this is their Empire Strikes Back moment. I am worried about what the Dodgers are about to pull off with money for the first time in eight years. With with money burning in their pockets for the first time in eight years, I am interested to see what the Dodgers are going to do with that shit. The Dodger empire is not going to sit by in this situation. Maybe it's Otani. Maybe it's somebody who comes available on the market. Like They are, especially because Gavin Lux just got carted off the field in spring training, and who knows what that's going to look like because he was their starting shortstop at this point. God, who knows what the Dodgers are about to do with money burning in their pocket for the first time in eight years. I have no idea what's about to happen to the Dodgers. And that's the cool thing about this year. Philadelphia, San Diego, Los Angeles, and the Mets are all punching above their weight class right now. They are all spending money that they do not have in revenue. And they are taking it out of their owner's pockets and Cohen's writing a six-figure, a nine-figure check 200 plus million dollars in losses. Padres, 80 to 100 million dollars in losses. Dodgers have every year for the past eight years taken losses. The Phillies last year were at 20 million dollars in losses, and I'm guessing that they'll take more this year if the opportunity presents itself. They just signed Trey Turner to a giant contract. They offloaded some other ones, but they just signed Turner to another contract. They're going to take losses again this year. When your team takes your revenue and pours it back into the team, that's the baseball team you want to root for. Because otherwise, you're just rooting for a corporation. You're putting your emotions into a corporation. I'm not just saying this because I root for San Diego. I don't have the same relationship in sports now that I recognize that you're putting your emotional stability into a corporation. What's exciting is that if you're going to root for a team... Because San Diego for years was the cheap team on revenue sharing money and they were, I hate saying it on revenue sharing money because it sounds like they're on social security, but social security is a really good thing. Team receiving revenue sharing money and putting together a measly product because that's the best they could do. It ain't the same now for San Diego and I've been rewarded for my fandom and my hometown team is punching above their weight class to be the Dodgers. And God, it's so awesome that they're trying to be the Dodgers. Because if you're going to care about fandom and, and all this weird Star Wars universe of baseball, that's the thing to get excited about. 
getting excited about them punching above their weight class and trying to spend on operating losses. Because again, every team should demand that the team that owns them take operating losses. If there's nothing preventing you from doing it in collective bargaining, and and by the way, every sport there is not. Football's got a weird deal because there's no luxury tax. Basketball, hockey, WNBA, soccer. If your team can spend, can take losses to field a better team, you should demand that of your ownership group. You should demand that their owner takes losses on that team. Why? Because it's professional sports. The first goal should not be to make a profit. The first goal should be to put a better product on the floor so that your team will be entertained and that your city will have some opportunity to compete for a very good season. It doesn't have to be a championship. Just compete for something. Your first priority should not be to make a profit. And if your first priority is to make a profit, you should not be giving money to that corporation, to that sports team. Do not give your resources to those teams. I will be more inclined to give my resources to a team that is willing to take all of my money and pour it back into the product than me giving the money to a billionaire who will then pocket the money and not push above what they are able to make on operating costs. Every team should demand that they spend like Cohen. Not doesn't have to be $250 million if you do, if you're not, you know, Cohen level rich. Every team should demand that their ownership do what the Mets, the Padres, the Dodgers, and the, to a lesser extent the Phillies are doing this season. Because if multiple teams do that and force each other to compete at the highest levels of the sport, it is going to create a super entertaining product. It's going to put the best four teams at the end of the season having epic playoff battles like San Diego and Los Angeles had last season, like the Phillies and San Diego had last season. If you can get me to the final four and it is New York, Philadelphia, San Diego, and Los Angeles this year, that's going to be an absolutely fucking amazing playoffs. It's going to be amazing to watch. And I will be glued to it the same way I was glued to that San Diego playoff run for 17 days and 60 hours last year. Because I have the emotional connection. I've been indoctrinated by this weird fandom. You're going to get an epic, I guess this would be episode 6 in the Star Wars narrative. Because the Empire Strikes Back is going to be leading up to the playoffs this year. You're going to get episode 5 and episode 6 of Star Wars if you have those four teams be the teams at the end of the road. If you can get New York, Philadelphia, San Diego, and Los Angeles in the National League Division Series, it's going to be the, the the final battle scene on the forest moon of Endor from Star Wars. Like, it's going to be the epic sixth move. It's going to be the epic episode six of Star Wars at the end of this season. And if you do that, man, baseball, you have got me captivated captivated by what is about to happen in part because I have a rooting interest in my hometown team trying to well they've already broken the curse for my money beating the 111 win Dodgers broke the curse but trying to take that next step and get to a World Series get back to a National League Championship Series to beat the Holy Dodger Empire once and for all just it would be amazing it would be the most amazing postseason and I would be glued and gravitated to that baseball season just gravitated to what is happening in baseball hopefully we get episode five and six of Star Wars on our way there spending all the resources in the world to try and compete for that one singular championship you might lose trying It's going to be fun to watch you try. To close out today's podcast, Juju Talk Sports and I are going to have a conversation about Manny Machado and San Diego and operating costs and many of the same topics that we've talked about here today. Just want to get Juju's perspective in on this as someone who is not in this high-stakes Star Wars universe because his 107-win Giants have been consumed by the Holy Dodger Empire. Take it easy, everybody. Manny Machado has agreed to a contract that will keep him in San Diego till his age 41 season. Kyle Ledbetter, what is your reaction today? 
Oh my goodness. Wow. They didn't even make us sweat this time. Like usually when you have contract negotiations and the first offer is embarrassingly low and there's reports from Bob Nightingale about a potential $40 million a year contract, you know, they, they make you sweat it out through the season. They didn't even make us sweat. It was like five days contract done, woke up Sunday morning and Manny Machado was a Padre for the next decade, which now puts the core of Xander Bogart's Fernando Tatis Jr., Manny Machado, not quite you, Darvish, but he's under contract for six more years. It puts that core in San Diego together for a really long time. Don't forget about Juan Soto in there as well. Another guy who signed for a long-term contract. Not yet. Not yet. Juan Soto is only under contract for two more seasons. Oh, that's right. That's right. But hey, young core, a lot of exciting guys around the diamond. Manny Machado, how is this contract going to age? Do you think it will age gracefully? Is there like a peak window? Is there a championship window? Do you think the Padres have to capitalize on here? I said this when he first signed the contract. And granted, I was in high school, so I had not perfected this craft of giving nuanced conversation and debates in sports. But this one aged perfectly well for me, which is as a Padre fan, if he was in a position to opt out of $30 million a year in five years. Cause if you remember the terms of his original contract were five years, 140 on the front end, and then five years, 160 had an opt out. If he was in a position to opt out of $160 million, it means things went awesome with his first five years of his contract. And we can confirm that they did. He finished second in the MVP last year, third in the MVP in 2020. He's been legitimately one of the five best hitters in baseball and is going to walk into the Hall of Fame most likely. As long as he just puts up decent numbers for four seasons, he'll walk into the Hall of Fame once his career is over. So... As long as he played well, that contract was going to be fine. And as the contract keeps aging, like from a baseball standpoint, these contracts that age into their 30s have the potential to go really poorly. Uh, Obviously, we can point to the Miguel Cabrera's, the Chris Davis's, the Robinson Cano's. Like there's ample reasons to be like giving a person a, a large contract into their late 30s is problematic. And as a San Diego fan, I don't care, man. Like Manny Machado is going to be our third baseman for 10 to 15 years. Like I'm cool with it. Even if he starts to go downhill, he's already delivered statistically the greatest career of any San Diego Padre in the last 25 years. So at that point, I'm chilling, man. Like I'm cool with the contract going south. I'm cool with him just being our third baseman for 15 years. It must be nice. I mean, hell, decked out in Giants gear here. It's <laughs> nice that you have a franchise that's willing to actually spend some money to make a championship window develop. The Giants are refusing to spend money. The Padres are seemingly over the last two years the highest spending team in the division right now because the Dodgers, they're seemingly content to kind of uh, let their younger guys come up. They're letting higher price guys walk, some higher price veterans walk now. Stalwarts like Justin Turner are no longer with the team. And now bringing like a J.D. Martinez, the Padres, like you look at what they're building here and you would say that on paper at this moment, they might be better than the Dodgers. So you're not going to hear it come out of my mouth, first and foremost, even though we beat the 111 win Dodgers, which to me felt like winning a championship because that's honestly beating the Dodgers felt just as good as actually winning a championship for San Diego. At the same time, the Dodgers have kind of warped our perception of what spending is. Now, granted, with the Bogarts contract and the way that a Musgrove's deal is super front loaded, the Padres do have a larger payroll going into opening day than the Dodgers. I don't expect that to continue, but it is the case right now. And the reason the Dodgers have warped our perception is because for about a decade that since the new ownership group took over, the Dodgers have kind of been doing what the Padres have done and on a smaller scale what the New York Mets are doing, which by the way, those are the three teams that you want to be a fan of right now is Dodgers, Padres, and New York Mets. And the reason that's the case is one, they're not on revenue sharing. They're, you know, their teams are actually in the what we call big markets in terms of spending. And the teams are actually willing to take losses to put a better product on the field. And for fans, that's so much better. I mean, we talked to Bob Nightingale last week. The, the Padres are losing 50 to $100 million this year on operating costs. They are willing to, to bleed money into this team in order to try and get over the Dodgers and get a championship team. And if you want to talk about championship windows, I don't see a better opportunity than right now for 
San Diego. They've already taken out the best Dodger team of the last decade. Like we talked about, the Dodgers subtracted Trey Turner, subtracted Justin Turner, Cody Bellinger, all these periphery pieces. Uh, Walker Buehler's not expected to come back until late in the season, if at all, from Tommy John. So I see no better chance than right now for San Diego. And they're willing to put all the money in the world and money that they don't even have on credit into this baseball team. And that's the best feeling in the world for a fan. Well, you mentioned the Mets and Dodgers, and the Padres can proudly say they beat both those teams in last year's playoffs. They're just going to get by the Philadelphia Phillies, and we know the Phillies spent a little bit of money too this offseason. But anyway, guys, we'll leave it up to you in the comment section now. What do you think of the NL with the Padres locking up Manny Machado for the next 11 years? How do you think this contract is going to age? I'd like to hear your thoughts in the comment section. Leave a like on the video, subscribe to the channel, follow us on all our social medias. Stay safe, happy, and healthy, and we will see you next time.